You ever felt you're being watched sometimes? Have you ever had a cold shiver run down your spine? Sometimes we go through that. Sometimes we look for answers to questions we don't really truly understand. Like, are we truly alone in the universe? Is there life after death? This world is weird. It gets weirder by the day. And in that weird are questions that we have as curious beings known as humans. Tonight, we look into some of those questions and get a little weird. Cause we all are just a tad bit weird. Tonight on Weekend Weird. Welcome to Weekend Weird, the show about the weird and mundane that's going on in this universe. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Captain of the Ship, producer, uh, Mr. Everything, uh, Red Nick. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, welcome back to Weekend Weird. Uh, no, it's been a while, but over a month but uh life happens um so this show we're gonna do um i thought we do a topic that just doing research on the big bad web and uh i discovered pretty much this just happened to stumble upon it like uh hollywood curses so um yeah, we're going to do three stories, me and my returning co-host, Ogul. Uh, we're going to do three Hollywood curses that's supposedly out there in the uh, world known as Hollywood. And, um, yeah, we'll take a look and we'll see if they're real or not. So, uh, without further ado, me and Ogul dive into, do a deep dive into the world of Hollywood curses. Alright, so, thank you. Let's take it with the show. Without further ado, here we go. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> Back on another bad podcast. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> what have you been up to since the last time we spoke? Man, buried under 10 feet of snow. Yeah, I think that's been going around with everyone in this city. <laughs> it's like it was normal. Then we got, you know... A mountain full of snow and then streets got flooded because of all the melting snow it's just like i i said to somebody like we went from regular you know mild 40 50 degree weather to just like winter hell and then back to 50 degree weather like what was all that drama about for three weeks <laughs> it's god punishing us good year man how are you Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, just hanging in there, not doing much. Um, uh, then just working mostly. <laughs> trying to stay sane, huh? Yeah, trying to stay sane. Hopefully, this thing will. We've seen the light at the end of the tunnel with this pandemic because I I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I can't. That is like, the understatement of the year, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm like. 
like me and a couple of friends are like trying to plan a trip to New Orleans in October. We're like, hopefully we'll be, everyone will be vaccinated. Everything will be a little bit better. And I'm just sitting there going, there's something, I know there's something coming. <laughs> by October? I think we should be fine by October. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be fine by October. <laughs> house burning. Yes. yes. This is fine. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have a, we have a temporary, temporary guest, uh, yeah, on the podcast yeah. today. I don't think he'll stay the entire time, but I'll come. I come and go as a ghost. Yes, yes. Well, Eduardo Reyes. Eduardo Reyes. <laughs> well, we will be talking about ghosts on this episode of Weekend Weird, but we'll be might as well talk about. Might as well be ghost-like almost. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, what do you know about curses? Well, I know that in being one, other than being one, yeah, this pandemic, every moment of my life, yes. What do I know about curses? Um, not a ton. What I do know is that, uh, you know, back in high school, I guess we had some affinity for checking out like haunted um cemeteries and like haunted houses and things like this but um as far as curses go other than a goosebump book here and there not much (laughs) not much (laughs) um do you believe like okay since you don't know much about curses you believe like a like a object or thing can be cursed and what anything i will tell you this my turkish background you know, once a, a, a Turkish ant puts a fucking curse on you, you're going to be <laughs> reaping, <laughs> reaping misery for the rest of your life. Like all the Armenians that are like making little booty bells. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. Um, uh, <laughs> a weird stabbing. Stabbing. Uh, not, I feel to say, my... not, not, not to say that, that, that's... Uh, Inherent in any kind of Iranian culture and right. all the political strife that's going on in that country. Uh, uh, find some kind of relatively peaceful solution, resolution to. You mean in Turkey or in Armenia? Armenia. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, you know, at this stage of, of our history, of our intertwined history, um, you know. Anyways, that's a whole other. I got it real. I got it. I got it real, real quick. I can't. Uh, that's a whole other topic. We can do a separate podcast on. But anyway, yeah. uh, Nick, you were saying. <laughs> well, I, I brought up curses because, like, um, people. Some people do believe curses exist um, throughout the world, as like voodoo curses. People bring that up, or. Um, like family curses and stuff like that. Um, do I personally believe in it? No, but um, the stories we're going to bring you, uh, which you make a judge, the audience, we ask that you make a judge where their curses are real, involves what uh, a place, this mystical place <laughs> that where dreams come true, but yet where dreams sometimes come true for the fortunate few and the rest fall hard 
I'm talking about Hollywood. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm talking about Bucktown. <laughs> like, no, I'm talking about no. <laughs> uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's been a few stories we're going to bring you tonight um, deal with curses that evolve around Hollywood. Um they're, they've been around for uh, a while, even though movie making process has barely reached. It's over a hundred years old. It's not that old if you look at it in the, the broad scheme of things, movie making process. But since the move to Hollywood, um, and certain certain people will believe certain things are like cursed. Quick so, question: did, Yeah, did movie making start? Like as an industry start in Hollywood or did it move? No, it started in New Jersey. Thomas Edison had started was really electrocuting elephants and everything. Yeah, Yeah. filming. Yeah. Um (laughs) he didn't invent the moving picture, but he he refined the moving pictures. And the move to Hollywood was because his company was so um bankrupt. No, not bankrupt. Uh, cor- corrupt. He he controlled. He had a monopoly on the movie making industry, and people who wanted to make movies independent of Edison, um, you couldn't. So what they did, a group of people had moved. First, they wanted to make like Hollywood type land in Chicago. Oh, but that was still within the reach of Thomas Edison. Yeah, leaving, <laughs> leaving New Jersey because it's too corrupt to come to Chicago isn't a isn't a good move. Yeah, and they could see, and Thomas Edison could still get you. But the he found out these group of people found out that they couldn't. Thomas Edison couldn't touch you in California. West of the Rockies. <laughs> yes, because like... of how the laws were set up right then, and the how he his reach was able to harass and get companies to not allow them to use their studios to film and stuff like that. So they moved everything out to Hollywood. What a dick! It's like the it's like the settlers leaving England, <laughs> trying to leave the king pretty much west to to conquer the western land. Yes, pretty much. So they moved out to Los Angeles and they took a plot of, a plot of land uh, that that was only used for farmland and they decided to build they ended up purchasing the land, building these studios and stuff like that and and that's how pretty much the Hollywood system was born. But they became just as uh, overbearing for a long period of time until really the seventies, the revolution of the uh, the films of the nineteen seventies with the Scorseses and the Coppolas and George Lucas oh, and uh, yeah, the New Age and the the end of the studio system and stuff like that. Uh, they ended up That's becoming more, more, yeah, and the way the the buildup of independent films and stuff like that. They were just as uh, monopolizing as Edison was when these group of people who wanted to make films uh, left New Jersey to make films and not having to pay Thomas Edison or give homage to Thomas Edison. Yeah. But yeah. Say hi to the new boss. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Say goodbye to the old boss. Hi to the new boss. Um, a lot of, it's a lot of rich history that goes in there. Like uh, a guy named Troy Taylor, which I'm giving a shout out to 
Uh, he has a podcast called American Haunting Podcast. And right now he's on a season where they're dealing with Hollywood. He's giving the history of Hollywood and the murders and hauntings and stuff like that. So if y'all want to learn more about the history, go listen to his podcast. He's on Spotify also. But uh, what we're going to do on this show is just talk about a few Hollywood supposed curses that are on uh, certain Hollywood either screenplays or movies or families deeply connected with Hollywood. So um, okay, interesting. Thank you for that little uh, history lesson of Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> a little small it's history lesson. Really. Yes. <laughs> uh, so let's get weird. So the first story we're going to talk about. This is a very wide urban legend. Let's talk about. It. You ever heard of the book, The Incomparable a tusk a duck a duck uh, a tuck. No, yeah. you brought it up to me no i have never i've never heard of this okay well a tuck <clears throat> a tuck this short a tuck is an unfilmed american screenplay intended to be a film adaptation based on a novel of the 1963 book the incomparable a tuck by canadian author mordecai richler it's pretty much a fish out of water comedy about a proud and mighty Inuit hunter adapting to life in the big city with uh, elements of racism, materialism, and popular culture. I see. So, uh, what's the name of the Disney movie? Uh, with, what's his face? Dumbo. No, not Dumbo. The guy from the jungle comes to New York City. Uh, George of the Jungle. George of the Jungle. Sort of, kind of, a little bit, but this one is dealing with a in, uh, Inuit hunter. Okay. All right. So, yeah, it was a very popular book that was written in 1963. They, they planned a film adaptation in the 70s uh, after um, the, uh, the screenwriter and director, Norman Je- uh, Jewitson, who had directed... Uh, Directed films such as The Heat of the Night in the Heat of the Night, uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Oh my god, yes, yes, uh, Moonstruck, The Cincinnati Kid, Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, The Thomas Crown Affair, the 1968 version, uh, The Hurricane with Denzel Washington. Um, he had purchased the rights, he wanted to do an adaptation, but this film, some have said, is cursed every everyone every main and it's like supposedly this this film that they take this screenplay has been responsible for the deaths of at least five famous hollywood actors wow yes and one other person who was going to be either producer or something like that so we'll get to those guys in a minute but let me go through the plot of a tuck all right so people know what the story is so the novel uh in the novel a tuck is a canadian inuit poet from baffling islands which is one of the territories in canada who gets transplanted to toronto but in the screenplay, they changed it to he's a native of Alaska who ends up in New York. Uh, Atuk, in, in the screenplay, Atuk was to be a son of an Inuit mother and a missionary who dreams of seeing the world outside of an Inuit territory of Alaska. He sees his chance with a beautiful documentarian named Michelle Ross and her crew who arrive to film the village which he lives in. 
a tuck stows away later a tuck stores away in michelle's plane when her crew takes off for another village after the crew lands in canada michelle discovers a tuck and has no other choice but to take a tuck with her past the border into america the two end up at in new york city meanwhile a powerful real estate mogul named Alexander McKeeran is planning to erect a massive metropolis on top of the Alaska's wilderness called the Emerald. McKeeran is clashing with environmentalists over the project because they claim the city will poison the eco- ecosystems there. McKeeran is also having problems with his 16-year-old son, Bishop, an underage drinker or smoker who's a terror at his school. Bishop goes joyriding in his boat while he's supposed to be punished and crashes near a pier where Took is and begins to drown. Took jumps in and saves Bishop. They befriend one another and take and Bishop takes Took on a night on the town. Alexander decides to have Took stay at their mansion until they can put him up in one of their hotels. Something McCure's wife Vera objects to. McEwen reveals to a tuck that Michelle works for him and tells a tuck he wants him to be part of an image campaign for McEwen's project, which a tuck agrees to. Bishop is then sent off to military school and is angry at a tuck for having sold him out to his father. Michelle and a tuck travel back to Alaska to shoot the commercials from McEwen's Emerald Project in an attempt to reassure the environmentalists who are critical of this project. A took is put into a dark makeup and put through primal Inuit paces, which makes him feel unnatural. But as they work together, a took and Michelle realize that they like each other very much. At the viewing of the commercial, a took realizes that by editing, McKeeran has used him to sell his message. A took now knowing that he's been taken advantage of breaks Bishop out of military school and is using a dog sled hurries to the hearing about the plans of the Emerald and convinces everyone there that he was wrong to endorse McEwen's plan because the project will be bad for the land. With all the investors of the project pulling out McEwen and Bishop reconcile, Atuk returns to his village but the next day Michelle arrives in a plane asking him to go to Hawaii with her. Atuk accepts and the two fly off on a plane with Bishop as as a co-pilot. That's the movie. Okay. Sounds interesting. interesting. They could do a lot with that, especially um, with the direction of someone named, or someone like Norman Jewison, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It sounds interesting. It deal like, it's like, again, deal with environment and racism. And um, it, it sounds interesting. I don't know if I would see it on the first like unless it's like a great trailer, but still. But here's a story of how they tried to develop this movie. Norman Jordson purchased the rights to the film in 1971, and he planned to shoot it in Canada after he was done filming the film Jesus Christ Superstar. The first person he approached to play a took was John Belushi. Mm-hmm. Now, if people are not familiar with John Belushi, John Belushi was one of the original uh, actors on Saturday Night Live. He was one of the first. Him and Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Ratner and um, Chevy Chase. Those just Jane Jane Curtin. Just just to name a few. He started. Um, what was he? Um, he was from Chicago. He was, 
He's born in Chicago. He started at Second City. Um, he really blew up because of Saturday Night Live. And also, he ended up leaving Saturday Night Live and going to uh, star in movies, Animal House, which was big, and the Blues Brothers. Sure. Everyone in Chicago knows, obviously, what the Blues Brothers are. Um, yeah. Belushi's yeah. a bit of and, a legend, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, he, he is a legend. Um, I didn't know his parents were Albanian. Okay. Americans. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um yeah, he got it started. He really blew up he was really blowing up because of this. Um so, so they approached him and like he approached him in he his ex- career. This was pretty much at first they approached him when he was on Saturday Night Live and he was thinking about it, and then after he left Saturday Night Live, he accepted the role. So he finally accepted. But before they were able to start filming, John Belushi, on March 5th, 1982, John Belushi was found dead in his hotel room in the Chateau Mott in Hollywood, California, of a drug overdose. Yeah, I mean, every, you know, everybody, everybody who's, you know, interested in comedy or knows, like, comedy from the 70s and 80s knows John Belushi's story. Tragic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was really man. This is, I mean, I, I was like one, <laughs> and I barely knew who and what anything was. But <laughs> still, <laughs> like especially going back, like because I, I like the Blues Brothers, like I really enjoyed that sure. movie. Um, and then just go, oh man, he's gone, and yeah, but he had a lot of like, a lot of demons. He was struggling with. Uh, drug and alcohol addiction and shit like that. So, yeah. So that's one. Okay. So the production kind of instead of like canceling the movie altogether, they decided to keep going. Forward. How far along were they in the production? Pre-production. Pre-production. So nothing had been shot yet. Nothing had been shot, but they considered they still kept going on. They were like, "Look, we want to shoot this movie. We want to do this movie." So they said they gave a date which they were going to be, begin a uh, production or a, a talk, and it was February nineteen eighty eight. They decided to go with another comedian. This one you might not know. But I remember this guy, a comedian named Sam Kinison. I'm looking at him right now. I don't really recognize his face, but what is what is he famous for? He was a stand-up comedian. Um, uh, he, actually, he was a former Pentecostal preacher. <laughs> That's what he said. I was, he was a stand-up comedian actor. He was a former Pentecostal preacher who got like um, really famous. He decided he wanted to do... Um, comedy um from age 17 to 24 he 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 was doing preaching like the fire brimstone kind because that's how um his father was a preacher too so he decided i want to do that then he was like you know i want to make a change after he divorced his first wife um he was like, look, I want to take up comedy. So he began his career in Houston, Texas, performing at small clubs, uh, became a member of the comedy workshop. Uh, and he's really started to get like noticed 
for his comedy. Like his like his big break came from Rodney Dangerfield, another Vavis comic. Um, they did a special on HBO in nineteen eighty five and he really he really killed it. So from there he made appearances on Late Night with David Letterman and and other late night shows and he was cast in um Rodney Dangerfield movie, which became a hit in nineteen eighty six. Um back to back to school. Um I mean he was life was really like like it's he was really blowing up at that time. And um actually if you go on YouTube right now you can see one of his sets. Like today this would his jokes would not fly yeah, today. <laughs> they would not fly like today. human sexuality and and sort of taboo subjects back then. Yeah, and, but he was like I remember him a little bit um at that time. Uh, yeah, he he was funny. Like especially in back to school, he plays uh one of the professors uh for cuz Rodney Dangerfield is like you ever see the movie Back to School, he Rodney Dangerfield is uh a successful businessman that's going through a divorce. He wants to reconnect with his son and his son's away at college, so he decides to go back cuz he never got his um uh, college degree, Rodney Dangerfield's character, so he decides to go back to college um, to try to get his degree and try to, like, it's because he keeps instilling to his son, like, you need your college degree, you need your college degree, but I never got his, so he ends up going back to school, and it's like zany and shit, and Sam Kennison plays one of his professors, and there's a scene where Rodney Dangerfield had been drinking, I guess drinking the night before, and stuff, and he didn't know the answer, and Sam Kennison just goes, don't you know the answer? Don't you know the answer? Do you? Do you? Do it's like I can't do his. <laughs> but if you go on YouTube and you search clips back to like back to school, Sam Kennison, you'll see the scene, and it's it's freaking hilarious because he's just screaming at Rodney Dangerfield, doing oh 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 oh, and just yelling at him. <laughs> shit. So it, it, it is funny. It's funny. So. But the thing with, with this is he, they approached Sam Kinison for the role he accepted, and um, they actually started okay. filming. They went in production in eight days. Sam Kinison filmed one scene, and that was it. Now, why they stopped filming is up for debate. Supposedly how the story goes is Sam Kinison hated the script, and he wanted re- it rewritten. And um, the people that were making the film was like, no, we're not going to rewrite now. They said, some people say they fired him because he kept complaining about the script and saying that he was going to, if the script had stayed the way it was, he wasn't going to give it full effort. Others say that Sam Kinison had the script rewritten and brought the script to to production and gave it to the director. And they were like, absolutely fucking not fire this guy. So they ended up stopping production. They fired Sam Kennison from the role and they sued him. And Kennison in turn sued the production company, United Artists. You know, Sam Kennison in turn sues United Art, sues counter sues United Artists. So they were doing this whole suing thing, but they had filmed one scene and no, it hasn't seen the light. And they, I guess, United said that um, he was. Allegedly giving a less than stellar performance in order to sabotage the movie, it says in here. Mm-hmm. 
And from his people, he said, I don't like the script. Uh, I want to rewrite. And he had someone rewrite the script and he brings it in and United Artists was like, no. Okay. Kiss my ass. And they fired him. So what happened to Sam? They stopped production and Sam moves on to other things. Actually, the whole thing was bankrupting him because he had to get paid for the performance and he was spending a lot of his money um, fighting this case. So he had to go back on the stand-up road. So uh, back on stand-up and on the road. So what had happened to Sam is on Friday, April the 10th, 1992, Sam was driving his his Pontiac Trans Am and he he was struck head on on US Route 95 uh, outside of Las Vegas on his way to, uh, no, outside of Needles, California, on his way to a gig in Nevada. And he was struck head on. Um, his, his wife was in the car with him. Sam wasn't wearing a seatbelt. His wife was. He was struck head on by a pickup truck driven by 17 year old Troy Pearson, who had been drinking alcohol. The pickup truck crossed the center line of the roadway while trying to pass another vehicle and went to Kennison's lane. At the time of the collision, Kennison was traveling to Laughlin, Nevada, to perform at a sold-out show. Kennison was found lying between the seats of his car at the scene of the collision. He was not wearing a seatbelt, and his head smashed into the windshield. He was not killed instantly, according to his brother. His wife was also injured in his crash, but later recovered after being taken to a hospital in Needles. Kinnison said to no one in particular at the time, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. But then there was a pause after Kinnison was listening to someone. See, Kinnison had gotten out of the car afterwards and started walking around. And like paramedics, no, his friend, his friend was traveling um, behind him in another car and pulled over and saw Kinnison walking around. And then he fell into his friend's arms and, uh, he starts saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. But there was a pause if Kennison was listening to someone. And he asked, but why? And then another pause. And he said, okay, okay, okay. Are there questions surrounding his death? No, no. He is pretty straight on. This kid was drunk, driving okay. drunk, went into, the, went into the opposite lane, hit him head on. And then he essentially died from, you know, death. He died for pretty much. He died from internal injuries. Uh, the autopsy found that he suffered from neur, neur, numerous traumatic injuries, including a dislocation in the cervical spine, a torn aorta, and torn blood vessels in his abdominal cavity. Which death within minutes. Yikes! So, how long after he got fired from the set of the movie? This was about four years ago. Okay, so some time had passed by. And in that time, the movie was like, they stopped production, essentially? Yeah, they weren't, they they were stopping the production on it. Uh, They only filmed one scene, and they were just like, that's it. Okay, sorry if I'm, I'm just curious as to what the movie's doing at this point. So four years passes by, and this guy dies in a head-on crash in the middle of the desert in Nevada. Okay. Yeah. So time is passing. Still, they're like, we want to make this film. Nine artists is like, we want to make this film. We want to get this film made. 
So they ended up giving the script to another famous comedian, uh, comedian actor, John Candy. People were not sure God Candy, who is he was a Canadian actor who had roles to fame through Toronto's branch of Sex, Second City uh, and Second City Television. He was in Stripes. Uh, his big his big breakout role was in Splash. He was in Summer Rental, The Great Outdoors, Cool Runnings, Spaceballs, Uncle Buck, uh, Only the Lowly. And your favorite movie, Uncle Will JFK. Everybody that's our age or close to our age knows who John Candy is. There's absolutely, yeah, there's absolutely no, nobody in our, in our um, age demographic that wouldn't know John Candy. Yes. One of my favorite films, JFK. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. He was in Home Alone. He had an appearance in Home Alone and playing. He was also in Planes, Trains and Automobiles. That's right. And probably a list of other movies that we're not thinking about right now. Uh, let me bring up his uh, film <laughs> list. Yeah. 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 yeah this film, film list. Definitely uh, a prolific actor like Joel just said now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's see. He was in the Blues Brothers. Oh my God! Yes, he was in the Blues Brothers. Uh, he was in 1941, the Steven uh, Spielberg comedy flop. He was in National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, Brewster's Mill- Millions, Sesame Street's Presents, Follow That Bird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he was. He has an appearance in Little Shop of Horrors. Um, let's see who's Harry Crumb, yeah, Home Alone, uh, Nothing But Trouble, uh, Career Opportunities, Rookie of the Year. Um, yeah, I mean, anyways, yeah. just <laughs> a very prolific actor. Is, uh, yeah, it's very funny. Very funny movies. Funny. I don't know how long his, he was active as a as a, as an actor, but definitely a ton of movies that we're all um, aware of from our- um, from seventy three to ninety four. Okay, okay. So they approached John Candy. Yes, John Candy was interested in doing it. Um, he was trying to figure out uh, a time in which to do it, but unfortunately, well, on March fourth, nineteen ninety four, he was. Um, while filming the film Wagons East in Mexico, he was found dead in his trailer from a heart attack. Yeah. The exact cause is unknown because they didn't perform an autopsy. Wow. Um, so he was filming another movie while um, the producers for a took approached him. They approached him before he uh, was filming um Wagons East, his last And he film. had agreed to work on a took or yes, he agreed. He he got the screenplay, he read it, and uh they said they were gonna make changes to it, and he was like, Okay, agree, we just need to pick a time which will all be free to be able to film us. And before he was able to film it, um he passed away. He passed mm-hmm. away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely tragic as well, um, just like Lucy yeah. and I. You said they're both from, or you said he's from Toronto, Second City, and Lucy yeah, from he's Chicago. From Toronto, I'm City. sure they knew each other and they were friends. Yeah, um, 
And also at the, around that same time, um, Michael O'Donoghue, who, who was an American writer uh, for like Saturday Night Live and Natural Lampoon's uh, magazine, um, and also he. I don't know, no one's sure what role he would have played because he wasn't an actor, but um, he was suffering from migraine headaches at for a while, ending up passing away around the same time, too. Um, November of 1984 of a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, wow. Okay. And he was attached to the film. I don't know whether he's going to do rewrites, produce it. No one's, no one's sure what he was going to be doing with that film, but he ends up passing away also. So the United Artists still wants to make this movie. They still want to make it, even though all these deaths are associated with it. Um, so they ended up approaching Chris Farley to play a took. Chris Farley jumps at the chance to do it because not only is he, he, he likes this, this character, but also because John Belushi was attached to it at one time before he died, and Chris Farley idolized John Belushi. Like, um, he totally idolized him, wanted to be just like him. Those are still not familiar with Chris Farley, who, yeah, it's a younger, some might be younger before he never seen him. This is another also Saturday Night Live alumni who was a breakout at Saturday Night Live. Um, he ended up breaking out with some of his roles. Like, I know people have heard of this. A van down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> that sketch where he plays uh, this guy who's a motivational speaker gets brought into um, his home uh, to motivate kids. And he's telling the story about how he lives in a van <laughs> down by the river. That's <laughs> right? <laughs> That's an SNL sorry? skit, right? Yes, it's an SNL skit. That was that's probably one of his most famous skits. Um, he he was kind of like Belushi, physical comedy, another overweight uh, comedian like Belushi. Um, and he had some from the Chicago. So, yes, he was. He, he was he from Chicago? Oh, I mean, see. as we as we'll find out soon, he. No, he's from Madison, Wisconsin. Well, I mean, close enough, I guess. <laughs> close enough, yeah. He was from Madison, Wisconsin, but also he started uh, getting started Second City at Chicago Second City. He ends up turning to Saturday Night Live, and he ends up doing films such as Tommy Boy, which a lot of people see, Black Sheep, uh, Tommy Boy, Black Sheep with uh, David Spade, uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. He was also in Billy Madison, uh, Coneheads, Almost Heroes, Wayne's World, uh, movies such as that. Um, Extremely funny, extremely talented. Uh, But like John Belushi, he also had a drug problem. Um, Cocaine, heroin, also obese like John Belushi as well. So you want to be like John Belushi. He also ended up receiving the same fate as John Belushi. So in October, no, December 18, 1997, Farley was found dead by his younger brother in his apartment in the John Hancock Center in Chicago at the age of 33. He died of an overdose of cocaine and morphine. Um. 
Yeah, obviously super sad as well. This one I actually um, yeah. I don't remember John Belushi passing or John Candy, but I definitely remember Chris Farley passing. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, that was super sad. Super, super, super um, sad for for the comedy world. Um, so, yeah. what was how far was his connection with this movie then at the time? He accepted the role. They were going to do the film. He accepted the role. They were doing some rewrites. They were about to go into production. And before they could go into production, he ends up dying. Well. And not only that, that fact that he has the script in his hand, he Chris Farley ends up talking to his friend and fellow cast member, Phil Hartman to come in and play um, the villain of the film Alexander Bacure. And um, if people are not familiar with Phil Hartman, he was also on Saturday Night Live, another Canadian-American actor, comedian, screenwriter, um, who was on the show around the same time as Saturday Night Live. Like, um, his... um, When he was on Saturday Night Live, he was famous for doing... um, Impressions of Bill Clinton, um, Ronald Reagan when he was on the when he was president, um, various other characters. If you're a Simpsons fan, you know him as one of the voices, most famously the voice of Joy Joy McFuhrer. Remember those things like "Hi, I'm Joy McFuhrer." You might remember me from such things such as blah 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 blah. Well, of course, remember? I remember him. Phil Hartman, um, you know, just along with. Many other voice actors on The Simpsons voiced many different characters, and I'm just googling it right now. Which um, Phil Hartman? Let me see. Super recognizable voice. Mm-hmm. Very, very recognizable voice. Um, you can still hear him um, in certain Simpsons episodes. That's on uh, reruns. Um, he also did such films such as House Guests. Sergeant Blinko, Jingle All the Way, and Small Soldiers. Um, so Phil Hartman is kind of like we don't really know if he agreed to do it, to do to play the role of uh, Alexander McCurin, but he did see the script. So um, he probably would have agreed to do it itself, but also agreed to do it at that time. But um, what had happened was again. Tragedy facade. Tragedy befalls him. Also, it is a bit more tragic than the other one. Yeah, yeah. This one is just absolutely just heartbreaking. Um, at the time, Steve Hart, uh, Phil Hartman's wife, um, he well, he had married a former model, expired actress, Brian Odenball, born Vicky Joe Omdow. Omdow, excuse me. Um, and she was going through problems um, with alcohol and narcotics. She had been in rehab several times, um, but she kept just falling off the wagon. Um, so what had happened was on May 27, 1998, um, Brian had Brian had visited an Italian restaurant uh, in California with producer. Uh, Christine Zadler, who said she was in good frame of mind. But after returning home, Brian had a heated argument with with her husband, Phil Hartman, after which he went to bed. 
She entered his room sometime after 3 a.m. and fatally shot him three times, killing him instantly. I mean, they had kids together, right? Yes, they had they had kids together. Um, she she was taking Zoloft and had been drinking alcohol and Reese and had also used cocaine. Then Brian drove drove to the home of her friend Ron Douglas and confessed to the killings, but initially he did. Ron Douglas didn't believe it. The pair then drove back to the house in separate cars, and she called another friend and confessed a second time. Upon seeing Hartman's body, Douglas called 911. Police arrived and escorted Douglas and Hartman's two children from the premises. By this time, Brian had locked herself in the bedroom, and she kept screaming, I did it, I did it, I don't know why, but I did it. Then afterwards, she committed suicide. By shooting herself. Yeah, super, super, super fucking sad. The lady definitely had some yeah. demons. And it looks like uh, in this story here, it's talking about how she was, um, she had been abusing the antidepressants Zoloft around this time. Mm-hmm. I guess where the marriage was sort of falling apart and everything. So what kind mm-hmm. of she was in a- Yeah, there. No, I, I was going to say, who knows what state of mind she was in, but obviously, um, you know, incredibly tragic way to end such a such a career. And, and, you know, watching interviews and, like, watching or reading um, about um, comedians from that time that have had worked with Phil Hartman, the way they talk about him is that he's just, like, this yeah. full-of-life, um, bigger-than-life sort of a figure it's just like a complete you know a, a, a super positive person to be around you know someone that they yeah you know just sort of fed off of his positive energy so you know super tragic obviously obviously the other three are are tragic as well but um phil hartman yeah. is the one that that got me but yeah yeah um uh, yeah i remember when it happened especially on top of uh then um Chris Farley passing away. Um, yeah, it, it just hit me. That, that hit me really. Well, first Hartman, then Chris Farley passing away. It just hit. It, it hits you really hard and stuff. And like I, I remember where I was and stuff. And it just you hear it. It's just like you can't believe it. Like anytime someone like someone you admire or watch on television cut. Ends up passing away unexpectedly. You're just like, what the hell? So, yeah, those, those are the deaths connected to it. Now, so, um, how long of a time frame are we talking about here? It started in 1988, and no, 80, 80. The production, well, the screenplay was written in right. 1971. Um. Well, purchase he purchased the rights in 1971. The screenplay, I think, was finished in 1972 or three or four. John Belushi dies in 1982. Then in 1992, Sam Kennison dies. And then John Candy in 94, Chris Farley in 98. Um, and Phil Hartman in 98. And Michael Donahue in 94 also. So, you're talking about a ter- of twenty some odd years for this film, and they just 
they haven't canceled the film. Still to this day? Yes, it's in development <laughs> hell. <laughs> they still haven't canceled, officially canceled, saying we're never going to make this movie. It's in development hell. The screenplay is supposedly locked away in a vault at United Artists somewhere in Los Angeles, California. United Artists Studios in Los Angeles, California. Well, uh, not literally never. Um, at this point, thirty years later, who would pick that? Who would pick that? You'd be surprised. <laughs> you would You're be right. surprised. There's still people. And studios are just like, you know, we don't believe in this curse or, hey, this is great publicity for this film. Give us, because I, I think that's what the um, United Artists is trying to do, because if they cancel it, they lose the rights to it and someone just picks it up. Especially since I don't know if a Took is in, um, no, I don't think it is, but uh, public domain, I don't think it is, but say if it is like just say if they just let we're canceling this all right oh another movie studio or independent movie studio picks it up like we're gonna do this shit and we and they end up doing it and supposedly we'll see if the curse is real if more people associated with the film had died um as opposed to not die I don't, but I, that's what my thinking that United Artists is supposedly doing because they don't want no one else to make the film and either disprove the myth or prove the myth is real, or they, they don't just want to be United Artists just want egg on their face. It's like, wow, great. So, all right. Well, I mean, let's talk about the curse. So what is the curse? What The curse is anyone, it's pretty simple, anyone who sees this script, right, the, the main people who read this script ended up passing away from it. It's been because no one's really sure why this thing is cursed. Whether like there's been speculation about like it could be one thing, it could be another thing, it could be the fact that you have, which I have to point out, especially with this thing, that with John Candy, John Belushi, Chris Farley, Sam Kinison, um, those four actors are. Caucasian actors playing an indigenous person. I see. You want a Caucasian actor to play an indigenous person. That's one thing I think that wouldn't fly right now. I don't think no one would literally stand for the fact that you have uh, a Caucasian actor playing a person of color. I mean, yeah, action. Obviously, times were different. Yeah, they they more accepted, even though the script they chose they say that he's half Inuit, half white in the script, but still, it's like the book. It's a Inuit hunter, and you're having a white person portray this. That's might be part of the curse right there. Um. Another another group of people says it's the curse of adapting something, adapting a book and straying away from the book to fit your Hollywood blockbuster. But there's been other books that have been adapted and strayed away from the books, the from the the book it has been uh, made into the film, and uh, people haven't died from that. Uh. 
So we're not sure what this curse is. It's just all these people who agreed to star in it who are sort of obese white men who are comedic actors end up dying. And then you have Michael Donahue and Phil Hartman. I mean, that's the curse. It's just a series of unfortunate events, it sounds like. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, I don't believe this thing is cursed. I believe that this is a series of, okay, with Farley and Belushi and um, Kennison and to a certain extent, well, to a certain extent, Kennison and Candy, these were preventable. Belushi, Farley, don't do drugs. Don't do a combination of heroin and, 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 and morphine. Yeah, I mean, look, all three of the actors that died, um, well, I'm not Four. counting Phil Hartman since he wasn't really. No, no, it's Belushi. I'm Belushi, Chris Farley, John Candy, Sam. <laughs> yeah, excuse me, you're right. Four. Um, they were yeah. all overweight. <laughs> so they weren't a risk. Yeah. Well, yeah, Sam Kinison was overweight, but he wasn't morbidly obese. Sure, but like, okay, overweight to a sense that, you know, it might present some health concerns there, right? And uh, mm-hmm. Belushi and um, Farley obviously had problems with alcohol, um, drugs, addiction. So, like, yeah. it's not like they were super healthy actors that just fell down one day walking down the street and just, you know, died. Like, they were right. in a pretty risky pool of, um, in, in a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And John Candy, even with John Candy, they said that. His family had a prepetition for heart attacks. It was genetic. And um, the fact he smoked a pack a day, he did a little cocaine occasionally. Um, he drank almost they every the day. They weren't the healthiest people, Nick. That's what... They weren't the healthiest people you know. in the world. Sam Kennison. He was killed by which, drunk right? Unfortunate, um, obviously, but like at least yeah. that's an accident. Accident, yes, I overdose is an accident, yeah. but it's not the same as an accident. Of, of yeah, it, it's still, yeah, it, the other person should, teenagers shouldn't have been drinking and shouldn't have been driving. Yeah, exactly. Um, Phil yeah. Hartman, another thing that, uh, if he's connected with this preventable get your kids and get the hell out of there don't even like i understand like phil Hartman's trying to fight for his wife because he loves his wife and he loves his family he wants to stay it would stay together but this woman has been in and out of rehab multiple times multiple times multiple times there's only so many times that you can throw up your hands and just go what the fuck michael donahue Again, could have been if he had caught it. Like the minute he started suffering these migraine headaches, is going to the doctor and being persistent with them. Like something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Please fix it. For the love of God, please fix it. And maybe they would have caught it before he ends up having a stroke and dying. Um, but yeah, the Phil Hartman gravity kids get the hell out of there. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do we? What are we thinking here? Curse? curse? No, um, curse. no. No curse. No. I don't believe, I don't think it's curse. Like even Orm Jenison 
and the producers have said, we don't think this film is cursed. We don't think this script is cursed. I think if you look at the situations in which they, um, these, uh, the four, John Candy, John Belushi, Chris Farley, Sam Kinison, how they lived, and even Michael O'Donoghue and Phil Hartman. You look at the situations, you look at how they lived, and particularly uh, Belushi, Farley, and to certain extent, Candy, uh, John Candy, and you look at their situations and just like, look, this was with Farley and Belushi, this was going to happen. The way they were living their lives, the way they were, they acted, um, their lifestyle, yeah, they're going to drop dead at any time. Um, understand, like, they also tell you, like, oh, you get to be rich and famous and famous Hollywood actor or, or, or musician or a professional athlete, the stress and the, 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 the weight that they put on you to constantly stay at the top of your game um, takes a toll on you. And you saw it with Belushi, you saw it with Farley, um, even to a certain extent, Candy. Um, Kinnison, um, it was that young man who decided, I'm going to get drunk and get behind a wheel. Um, who was totally responsible for it. Also, Phil Hartman's uh, wife. For sure. Um I don't I think don't there's think a curse either, because here's the other thing. These guys ran in a fairly small circle of comedians who were sort of all friends in Hollywood around the same time. How many other movies or scripts or potential, um, you know, TV shows or whatever do you think got pitched to all three of these guys? And they, you know, some of them say, what I'm saying is like, you could probably pick another script that they all said yes to and say that caused <laughs> that was the curse that caused all their deaths. So Yeah, actually oh, okay. there well, is. There you go. Well, two of them. Um the script for Confederacy oh, okay. of Dunces. Go ahead, tell us about- uh, yeah, the Confederacy of Dunces was a book uh, written by John Kennedy Toole, which was pu- published in 1980, 11 years after Toole's suicide. Um, it's uh, it's an anagram from John uh, Swift's essays, essay, excuse me, thoughts on various subjects, moral and diverting. Uh, when a true genius appears in the world, you may know him by his by this sign that the dunces are all in a confederacy against him. It's pretty much a book about a guy named Ignatius J. Riley. Uh, is an educated but slothful 30-year-old man living with his mother in the uptown neighborhood of 1960s uh, New Orleans, who, in his quest for employment, has various adventures with colorful uh, French Quarter characters. It's kind of like Don Quixote for uh, a modern okay. modern age. And they it was a very popular book. And... Um, they tried to turn it into uh, a screenplay. Well, they tried to turn it into a movie. Like the first, well, first they turned it into a musical comedy um, stage play, uh, which was successful in college campuses and um, off Broadway theaters, particularly the Gate Theater in London for the BBC Radio and stuff like that. Um, in 1982, Harold Ramis 
was to write a directed adaptation starring John Belushi as Ignatius and Richard Pryor as another character, but Belushi ended up passing away. Later, John Candy and Chris Farley was also at, uh, thought to be the lead, play the lead ca- character of Ignatius. But they That's passed away right too. Like, <laughs> we just say. Yes, and director John Waters was interested in doing it, and he wanted Divine to play Ignatius, but she passed away as well. That's what I mean. And, yeah, and there was a version that was supposed to be directed by Steven Stallenberg. Um, this is where the the curse kind of breaks down a little bit. Uh, it was a version directed, supposed to be directed by Steven Stallenberg. Is supposed to star Will Ferrell as Ignatius and Lily Tomlin as his mother, and also supposed to be also supposed to be having Most Deaf, Paul Rudd, Rosie Perez, Natasha Leone, Alec Cummings, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, some named a few, but because of Hurricane Katrina and also the uh, head of the Louisiana State Film Commission being murdered, canceled the film. Wow, okay. And Steven Sauber thinks that that, film, that script is cursed, but he might have been saying it in jest. And it really kind of don't think it's also a curse because they've performed it on stage and like with some notable actors like Nick Offerman <laughs> and and uh, yeah, Nick Offerman was playing the lead role, and Nick Offerman is still alive. His mustache <laughs> is gone, but he's still alive. <laughs> but mostly, people who bring up a tuck will also bring up a Confederacy of Dunces because they think that both of them are cursed. Apparently, Will Ferrell too. Yeah, <laughs> too. And Jack Black. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> Do I think the movie's cursed? No, it's just a series of unfortunate events. Again, um, I don't, I don't think the the script is cursed. I don't think so. Like, you know, why would these random ass comedies coming out of Hollywood be cursed? Like. Who would put the curse on these movies? Who? Like, in order for a curse to happen, don't you have to have someone um, who puts the curse on the object or the movie or the person? It, yeah. it depends on the culture. It's just like, sometimes, like, I think that's more of a voodoo type, uh, Caribbean type. Oh, you got a per- curse or like Europe type thing we got to put the curse like a person puts a curse on an object or a person or something like that uh, other um, cultures it might just happen it might just might be such such the a object thing just or the movie script just invites the curse onto itself yeah that's what they're thinking with this it just invites the curse onto itself okay but neither seem like, like uh, to us and what we've read seem like uh, either yeah. of these movies are cursed or scripts are cursed. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's uh, cursed at all. Um, so I'm not going into like, oh my god, this film is cursed, and yeah, I just I don't see it. You know, I really, I really do not see it. Well, uh, this film being cursed, it's just a series again, a series of unfortunate events that plague this thing, and um, you know, um, I don't think it's uh, yeah, I just don't think that this this attack is cursed. So. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems to have generated some buzz on the internet amongst you know conspiracy circles and things like that. Um, but ultimately, you know, of the ten fifteen websites I've read on this, all sort of come to the same conclusion as we just did. Yeah, it's not cursed. It's just a very serious uh, again yeah. of unfortunate events. Oh, man. All right. So you want to go on to the next curse? (laughs) Okay. So apparently we're going to talk about this next curse is supposedly on a film that was, or series of films that were completed. They were filmed. They're in a can. They're out there. Okay. Sort of a success. We're talking about Poltergeist. Great movie. Yes. Now, if you're not sure with the film Poltergeist, uh, I'll give you a brief synopsis. It's We're talking about the original Poltergeist here. The original Poltergeist was released in 1982. It was directed by Toby Hooper, who's also most famous for directing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was written by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> uh, Mark Victor and Mike Gaddis from the story from Steven Spielberg. Uh, there's also a rumor that Steven Spielberg is really the one who directed this film, but uh, he denies it to this day and will, that, no, it was Toby Hooper who directed the film. Um, the film focuses on a suburban family whose home is invaded by magnificent ghosts who abduct their daughter and they have to try to get her back. So, you said it was a great movie. What's your what what sort of thing did you really like about? Oh the my first goodness, the first Poltergeist movie. First of all, I saw it when I was a kid, so it definitely had a, a lasting impact on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge horror yeah. movie fan, and um, I know you are. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't have this huge laundry list of horror films that I've seen in my life. So the ones I have seen, and the ones that are good that I have seen, are definitely quite memorable. And Poltergeist is high on the list next to, like, you know, The Exorcist or, right. you know, The Omen or any one of those films. Um, the Ring. <laughs> um, no, <Yeah>. Poltergeist, <laughs> fantastic movie. Um, you know, just a, a quality film. And I know, I don't know if the, the curse you're about to to mention is is this, but I know there are stories that came out from the production of that film um, that are sort of, mm-hmm. has, they've been talked about, about like, you know, unnatural things happening during the, the making of that film on set. Um, so that I do have a little bit of a clue into some of that stuff. I don't know if that's what you're going to get into. Uh, well, yeah, there's some, there's been some deaths, um, 
associated with this entire film series and like there was even like during the filming that there there was a rumor that they actually took actual human remains and used them I as mean the movie is based the movie. on a story that, of that's, this family and this house disturbing yeah. in like Indian burial Indian remains well, they didn't disturb it. The company that built the house disturbed it. And it's like the most famous lines out of the movie is screamed by the father. Like, you move the headstones, but you didn't remove the bodies. You move the headstones, but you didn't remove the bodies. And yeah, they're coming through the freaking kitchen doors yeah. and shit like so, that. So, yeah, my overall uh, memory yeah. and like love of that film, um, or I love that film from, from my childhood. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I know they made a remake of it recently. I have no interest in seeing it, but. I saw it. It was okay. It wasn't as okay. good as the original one. Um, yeah, but supposedly this film was cursed because of the. They said that or some say that um, because of them using actual uh, remains, uh, skeletal remains, uh, as uh, props in the movie with the uh, bodies are coming out. Also, um, it's multitude of reasons. Like it is like like deaths associated with it like the first death associated with this film is um dominic dunn who played the oldest daughter in 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 the film um she she was a rising star and this one was a um she had been in um uh, television, like television films such as The Diary of a Teenage Hitchhiker and television series such as uh, Family, Heart to Heart, Fame. Um, she gets cast in to play Diana Feeling, the, the teenage daughter um, in Polar Guys. Um, and like her star is really about to take off. And also the fact she comes from a famous family as well. Uh, Dominic Dunn, her father, is a famous crime um American writer and investigative journalist and um, producer. Her brother Griffin Dunn was kind of uh, famous in his, famous in his own right. He was uh, an American werewolf in London, and he had been nominated for a Golden Globe Award uh, for uh, mm-hmm. it was a movie After Hours. Um, but her star was really starting to take off. She was young, very attractive. Uh, pretty much what had happened was she done had met a guy named John Thomas Sweeney, who was a chef at a restaurant, uh, Ma Maison's, in 1981. After a few weeks of dating, they moved into a one-bedroom house in West Hollywood. Um, the relationship quickly deteriorated because of Sweeney's possessiveness and jealousy. The co- the couple fought frequently and Sweeney began physically abusing Dunn. Um, Like one account, he yanked handfuls of her hair out by the roots during an argument in August of 1982. Then Dunn fled to her mother's house where Sweeney showed up and made banging on her door windows, demanded to be let in. Uh, Dunn's mother told him to leave and threatened to call the cops. Uh, A few days later, Dominique returned to their home and continued their relationship. Um... So there was a history of domestic abuse by this guy um, against Dunn. And in October 30th, 1982, uh, a few, like, she, Dominic Dunn finally broke up with this guy on October. But on October 30th, uh, this is 1982, a few weeks after their breakup, Dunn was in the West Hollywood home rehearsing for the miniseries V 
with an actor, David Packer. While she was speaking to a female friend on the phone, Sweeney had the operator break into the conversation. I didn't know this could happen back then. This is... Dunn told her friend, oh, God, it's Sweeney. Let me get off the phone. Ten minutes later, Sweeney showed up at Dunn's home. After speaking through him through a locked door, Dunn agreed to speak with him on the porch where Packer remained outside. While they were outside, the two began to argue. Packer later said he heard smacking sounds, two screams, and a thud. He called police but was told that Dunn's home was out of their jurisdiction. Packer then phoned a friend and told him if he was found dead, John Sweeney was the killer. Packer left the home through the back entrance, approached the driveway, and saw Sweeney in some nearby bushes kneeling over Dunn. Sweeney told Packer to call the police. When the police finally arrived, Sweeney met them in the driveway with his hands in the air, stated, I killed my girlfriend and I tried to kill myself. Sweeney later testified he, he had done and argued, but he could not remember what happened after the exchange. He claims he could only recall being on top of her with his hands around her neck. Dunn was then transported to Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, who was placed on life support, but she never regained consciousness. On November 4th, her parents consented to have her removed from life support. Wow, that's uh, that's tragic. So that was the second yeah. death, right? Are you recovering? Or was that the first? Okay, I'm sorry. No, that's the first death. The first death right. is associated with this. Um, the next death, um, let's see, is Julian Beck, uh, who played the evil spirit Kane in the sequel, Poltergeist to the other side. He died of stomach cancer on September 14th, 1985 in New York. Uh, Will Sampson, a 53-year-old uh, indigenous actor who portrayed the good spirit Taylor in Portuguese 2, died in Houston Hospital on June 3, 1987, about a year after the film's release. Sampson had received a heart-lung transplant six weeks earlier, and the cause of death had ascribed to severe pre-op malnutrition and post-operative kidney failure and fungal infection. It is said he knew his chances of survival was small during his weakened condition prior to the surgery. The, but the most major death to come from this was the star Heather O'Rourke who played Caroline feeling through all three of the first three Protogeist movies. She started when she was six years old. She unexpectedly passed away at the age of 12 in February 1988 of septic shock. She thought, her and her family thought she was going through an ordinary bout of flu, which launched her into a cardiac arrest during the drive to the local hospital as bacterial toxins sent loose by a bowel obstruction made their way into their bloodstream. Okay, so one murder, two cancer, and one another medical um, issue here. It looked like cardiac arrest and... Yeah, and... Yeah, one uh, septic shock, which was misdiagnosed. They thought she had something else. 
um, Heather O'Rourke and they misdiagnosed her. And you could see the change that she was going through. They thought she had, I think they thought she had Crohn's disease. And you can see it a little bit in Poltergeist 3 that she's a little, mm-hmm. her cheeks are really puffy in that film. If you go back and watch it, her cheeks are really puffy and she's a little like, she doesn't look like, oh my God, she gained weight. It's like, no, her face looks like puffy. And but the rest of her body looks fine, and it's like they misdiagnosed her from one ailment and then another. And it's supposedly other related deaths in the Poltergeist, um, um, the Poltergeist, uh, there's other related deaths also, uh, like Zeta Rubenstein and the missive actress who played the part of the seer. Tangela Barons and all three Poltergeist films and replied the role in the spinoff TV series Poltergeist Alensi died uh, in 2010, but she died of natural causes at 76. <laughs> you can't count that as a curse. Uh, but some says, no, she ended up passing away because of this film. It's like, yeah, she was 76. She's not natural causes. Um, English director... Brian Gibson, who directed Poltergeist 2, died of Ewing's coma at the age of 59 in 2004. Um, Okay. I'm I'm going to make a statement here. So, these people uh, died years, if not decades, after the movie was uh, filmed, the movies were made. Some of the people died because of health issues they had while the movie was being filmed. After the movie was released, you know the cancer yeah. patients or the the, yeah. the the two that died from cancer. I mean, like, why tie mm-hmm. it back to a film? Everybody, because they have all happened to be in this film. This is what people. This see, this is what happens when you have no life. Uh, you start making uh, judgments and tying shit to shit. That's what I'm saying. Like to be coincidence. It, what, I'm sure plenty of more people who worked on the poltergeist have since died. Yeah. Like Toby Hooper has passed away. No one's contributing that to a curse. That's what I'm saying. So like, everyone one. eventually dies. And, uh, you know, people that worked on movies together or uh, worked at the same company together or rode the fucking same Uber pool together will all eventually die one day. But can we mm-hmm. come back and say that Uber pool ride was cursed? You know what I'm saying? Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know some idiot's going to be out there going, no, that's weird. That, right. that well, like, unless if you can tie it back <laughs> to something that happened where like, you know, they brought in like a uh, a Native American, you know, consultant for this film, okay, for the poltergeist. And the consultant mm-hmm. said, don't make this film. It's, you know, making fun of our culture uh, or it's like uh, diminishing like actual, you know, instances where this happens where like ancient burial sites get disturbed and things like that. Don't make this film. <laughs> if you do, I'm gonna put a curse on this film. So, like, if you can point back to something like that, I can say, okay, maybe there's something here. But like, just to say, these people who worked together at some point on this project 
have died in the future after making this thing doesn't really say it's a curse. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, it's again, it's people trying, it's just saying, oh, this this mysterious thing happened, or this unfortunate thing happened, or this mysterious unfortunate thing happened to like this, this person, this person, this person. Oh, all, all these people were doing this or 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 were reading this or doing this or in this. Do you want to tie it all together? And it's just like, no. Yeah. I mean it's fun to like you know run away with these sort of like interesting ideas online and like you join these communities and you know it's it's i don't know it's kind of geeky and nerdy to sort of connect dots like this like some sort of um amateur um detective you know um mm-hmm. but yeah to say that any of these things were cursed and these people died as a result of it i'm calling bullshit <laughs> Exactly, and yeah, well, this it's bullshit, and I'm not paying too much of a attention of it um, in terms of that. So, yeah, poltergeist. I mean, like, uh, okay, you asked me at the beginning what I thought of or what I knew about curses. The one curse that, like, is fairly popular among among um, you know history is like the curse of the Tutankhamun, where they un you know un where they uncovered the mummy um, in Egypt and like people that were uh, involved in the digging of, of that um, sarcophagus did pass away under mysterious circumstances afterwards. Like that to me is a curse. You're not supposed to disturb the dead, blah, blah, blah. Um, but a fucking mm-hmm. movie. Right. <laughs> Oh, uh, you, you, but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. But that, so their final okay. Hollywood curse. This curse deals with a family, a very influential family. Um, well, mainly two people in the family. Uh, we're going to be talking about the supposed curse that was placed on one of the greatest martial artist that ever lived and a person who opened up so many doors uh, for people who of Asian descent in terms of Hollywood, even though they still fuck it up, but still change the perception of how people of Asian descent or people from uh, Asia were perceived in films. He was born in San Francisco? Uh, what? Yes. I did he not know American. that. <laughs> Yes, he was born in San Francisco. Then his family migrated back so, to Hong Kong, and then he but came he eventually back to died in Hong Kong. But mad, I did not yes, know he, he was American. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yes, he was. Like even his autobiography, he goes, "I'm not." Even though it's uh, his autobiography movie, Dragon's Bruce Lee story, even though it's. Purely most of that film is fucking fiction. And the older I get, the more I hate it. Um, but um, yeah, he, he goes, I'm not Vietnamese, I'm an American. And, yeah, because he was born in America. So I'm not going to go into the introduction of who Bruce Lee is. 
Everyone in the world knows who Bruce Lee is. You don't know who Bruce Lee is. You've been living <laughs> under a rock for the rest of your, your whole entire life. And how the hell did you end up getting to listen to podcasts is beyond me. But you know who Bruce Everybody Lee is. <laughs> Everyone knows who Bruce Lee is. His influence goes not only just between, not only martial arts films, but also to sports inspirational quotes philosophy inspirational quotes i I love his quote on water like water is formless water water takes it what what is i I used to know it by heart but water is formless it takes the shape what it's poured into be water my friend be water i love that quote and it's been used not just like oh I'm competing in something, but it's used with like the the Hong Kong protests uh, against the Chinese government, the the uh, protests in Portland, uh, the protests in um, uh, Minnesota, uh, the protests we saw this past summer against police brutality and racism. That was a quote: "Be water, my friend. Be water." And go on and on about Bruce Lee, but supposedly there's a curse. There was a curse on him that um, because when he was in America, uh, well, we came back to America before he uh, started working in in motion pictures. He was um, teaching people uh, martial arts, particularly his martial art that he created um, let me make sure I'm pronouncing this right Ji Kune Do which is a hybrid martial art um, he was teaching supposedly this curse is that you people who knew martial arts particularly for the Chinese community living in America they were not allowed to teach people who were not Chinese. So you couldn't teach people who were white. You couldn't teach people who were black. You could teach people who were Hispanic. You couldn't teach people who were from Japan or Korea. You could only teach people their martial arts if they were Chinese. And Bruce Lee supposedly taught anyone, which, yeah, it's true. He taught everyone. He taught Steve McQueen um, martial arts. He taught um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, anyone who was willing to learn. And supposedly the the heads, the like, triads or whatever didn't appreciate that, and they plotted to kill Bruce Lee, but because and curse his family. So the day Bruce Lee died, uh, May 10th, uh, what was, excuse me, not May 10th, July 20th, 1973, Bruce Lee was supposed to meet with actor George Lazenby um, in Hong Kong because they intended to make a movie together. Um, According to Lee's wife, Linda Lee, Lee met with producer Raymond Chow at 2 p.m. at his home, discussed the making of the film Game of Death. They worked until 4 p.m. and then drove together to the home of Lee's colleague, 
Betty Ting Ting, a Taiwanese actress. The three went over the script at Ting's home, and the child left to attend a dinner meeting. Later, Lee complained of a headache, and Ting gave him a the painkiller, a quaninit. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a painkiller that contains both aspirin and tranquilizer, uh, mean pro bentin. Around seven thirty, he went to lay down for a nap. When Lee did not come for dinner, Chow came over to the apartment, but he was unable to wake Lee up. Then they called for a doctor and spent 10 minutes attempting to revive Lee before sending him to by ambulance to Queen Elizabeth Hospital, where he was declared dead on arrival at age 32. And uh, according to autopsy, Lee's brain had swollen considerably from 1,400 to 1,575 grams, a 13% increase, and they found the painkiller in his system. Supposedly, he died from an allergic reaction to the tranquilizer. It's yeah, he he had a bad, he had a a reaction to the uh, supposed tranquilizer, and supposedly he was also doing other. He was also on other painkillers because he had hurt his back a couple of years earlier, and he was using them because he was in constant pain. So I think it might have been a combination of those two drugs and allergic reaction, and he ended up having. A cerebral hemorrhage ended up passing away. But supposedly that there's some sort of curse that was put on his family because he had taught outsiders and that um, curse had extended down supposedly to his son, Brandon. Now, if you don't remember Brandon Lee, Brandon Lee, again, the son of Bruce Lee, was an up-and-coming actor. He had done um, like small bit parts in the uh, 80s. Um, and then like supporting roles like Showdown a Little Tokyo with Dolph Lundgren in like nineteen eighty. He finally got to the main uh main the main role. Uh well the lead role, excuse me, uh, with the film Action uh, Rapid Fire, which came out, I believe, nineteen ninety two, which was a modest hit. He then ended up signing up to do a film called The Crow, which is based on a comic book uh, independent comic book of the same name, and he ended up dying on the set from a tragic accident um, while filming The Crow. Supposedly, it also went down because of this curse that was put on by his father, also went down to bread. Um, let me talk about a little about the night Brandon passed away. Um, Um, no, I, so I, you know, very, uh, you know, well aware of how uh, Brandon died, um, you know, just because of the yeah the legend of the, of the movie um, that was being filmed at the time of his passing and mm. how he passed away uh, is a story that continues to get told. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just sort of listening along to, to you describing yeah. the, the connection. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me get this. Um, again, Brandon was filming The Crow. It was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, they were filming the scene. They were pretty much almost done with filming uh, principal photography. They're about to go into post uh, production. Uh, Brandon was was a little eager and wanted to hurry up and finish because he wanted to leave because he was about to get married. <laughs> 
um, to his fiance Elijah Hudson. Um, so, but the the crew the the props crew had a problem. They had run out of blanks to fire for a gun. His scene was the the character that Brandon was playing um, was going to get shot and die in that scene, and then later. They already filmed the scenes of him being resurrected as the uh, with the powers of the crow. So they were filming the scene which he was walking into his apartment and seeing his girlfriend, his film girlfriend, being attacked, and he ends up getting shot. But the prop crew had run out of blanks. So what one of the prop uh, masters ends up doing is going to a gunsmith, uh, well, a gun shop, and ended up pick, uh, picking up live rounds. Now. Dummy rounds and live rounds, uh, kind of. I, I don't know too much about the about how bullets work, but you could tell a dummy round from a live round. So, but what this prop master had done because they run out of dummy rounds was end up removing the um, gunpowder, taking off from the live round, taking out the gunpowder from the live round, and then. Push, which the gunpowder was the the primer. You shoot the gun, the primer goes off, ignites the gunpowder, moves the bullet to where you're pointing it. So they removed the gunpowder, but left the primer on and put the bu- bullet back in. And then that's what, how they were trying to make dummy rounds. That's not how you make dummy rounds. It's something entirely mm-hmm. different. But this is what I got from the story. So they ended up making these live rounds into what they think is dummy rounds and um, pretty much um, leave the primer on. So they test fired it and uh, nothing happened. Well, nothing happened. Then they test fired it again and um, the gun went off, but no bullet came out. But what happened was, so they ended up recycling the chamber, pulling out the bullet and and they were like, oh, okay, the Dummy, like these rounds work, but what had happened was um, the actual bullet got stuck into the chamber. But finally, they were able to get re- real dummy rounds, and they ended up loading up into the chamber. So they ended up giving to the actor um, that was supposed to shoot Brandon Lee when he enters the um, apartment for that day. This is a couple of days later. So they ended up in loading up the dummy rounds, the real dummy rounds they got from. Uh, Hollywood, and um, they film the scene, and they the dummy round goes off, and what had happened was because the real bullet, the the previous bullet was stuck in the chamber, by using the dummy round, which is works totally different than just pouring out the gunpowder of a real bullet, gets a chain reaction where that bullet becomes live, and that bullet. Pushes out like it's an actual live route and it's up striking Brandon and the Adonalyn. And he falls over and the record goes cut. That was a great take. And Brandon doesn't move. And now everyone at first didn't really worry about it because Brandon occasionally played practical jokes on people. Um, but he didn't move. And then all of a sudden they start seeing blood. And they're like, oh shit. So they hurry up, rush into the hospital and they put him through hours of surgery, but they couldn't end up saving him. He ends up dying from it. The guy, the actor who was who 
shot Brandon. Totally not his fault. How could never you? got over it. You just like go to work one day he to did. act, and then he you end did. up yeah. killing somebody. Mm-hmm. He he never got over it. He ended up. I think he died of either cancer or committed suicide. I'm really not sure. Um, hold on, let me look it up. But yeah. he ended up passing away recently, like a couple yeah. of years ago. Wild story. So he died at the hospital. Then. Um, yeah. 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 He died at the hospital. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that's not him. Fun boy. Uh, yeah, uh, the guy Michael Massey was the actor's name. Um, he, yeah, he never really recovered from that incident. <clears throat> got over it. Uh, no, he died. Of, yeah, okay. he ended up dying of stomach cancer five years ago. Yeah, but he never really got over it, and you could tell. Like people could tell, like. Um, like he had been chased, man. Like he gave an interview in 2005 and he revealed that he still had nightmares about it. Like, and he said, I don't think that you'll ever get over something like that. And he was like a established actor himself. He, he was in Tales from the Hood. He was in HBO's Carnival. Uh, he was in Amazing Spider-Man. And Amazing Spider-Man Two, yeah, but yeah, it, it, it's tragic all around. And but his his death, Brandon's death, ended up making changes to how they uh, store store and operate weapons um, on movie sets because some of those weapons are real that they use in movie sets. They're just using dummy rounds. Because they want the sound effect, but so there's a lot of changes after that. But supposedly there's a curse we placed on it, on his family. Um, again, going back to yeah, we'll go you know what is thoughts. the source of the the alleged curse? Um, you know, obviously a tragic passing for both father and son, but you know where does the curse come from? Um, Yeah, him, him, his father teaching um, non-native Chinese the martial arts. So the thought is that like he That's was appropriating Chinese culture. No, that he was teaching Westerners, particularly non-Chinese, their I, arts, their martial arts. When it was forbidden to do, I see. I see. That's I the see. where the curse um, comes from. Yeah, I mean, sure, <laughs> that's an idea. Um, I don't know. That just seems like a, mm. maybe sort of attacking his success as the uh, at the time the most successful Asian American um, celebrity artist, actor, whatever you want to call him. Um, Okay. Mm -hmm. What do you think? <laughs> uh, it makes no sense. Okay. First, yeah. If first of all, you have two accidents. You have Bruce Lee have a allergic reaction to a painkiller and passing away, and his son passing away because of a movie set prop fuck up. 
okay, you got those two. There's no way there's some sort of curse or some sort of triads are going in there fucking with people, poisoning their father and fucking up the uh, waiting years until a son, that, like making sure like his son <laughs> is going to be a major Hollywood star and this is he's going to do a movie which he, like he he has to you he gets shot by a gun, mind you that he could have become a fucking chef. <laughs> a school teacher <laughs> and like at the time Brandon was trying to move away him doing the crow was him trying to move away from his father's legacy because he, he Brandon had said in like interviews during his life that he didn't want to be the redo of his father he wanted to be his own guy he wanted to be his own man in films like he did rapid fire and showdown little tokyo and kung fu the movie and all that stuff because he was trying to get his foot into hollywood and those are the only roles he was getting he did the crow because the crow was something different yeah there's action and shit but it's not a bunch of shit he's doing martial arts because you look at a movie he's hardly doing any martial arts actually i don't think he's doing right. martial arts at all yeah for that fact like he's trying to do something different. He's trying to not be his father. Like he gives like an analogy. Like he's at like one story. He's at a casting call, and um, he's talking with his casting director, and they have his headshot in front of them, and on the back of the headshot says Bruce Lee's son. And he turns the casting director turns around, and goes, "Oh, well." And Brando's like, like he says, like. He didn't say it to the uh, casting director, but he said it as um, that's an equivalent of me coming into the room with a female casting director and saying nice tits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's like you're not just go like you're not looking at him because you're looking at him because he's Bruce Lee's son, not because he might have the talent. To be in this film, he just happens to be the son right. of Bruce Lee. But he's talented in his in his own right, regardless of so, his association with his father. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like like supposedly this curse waited years for him to do this film. And all this shit happens just to kill him. Nope, nothing there. Yeah. It's just it's literally ludicrous. You had two two accidents that happened, and not only that, with why would you put a curse on a guy that is breaking racial stereotypes that people in Hollywood and also in this country, which is still going on, he's breaking those stereotypes. You're talking about Brandon, or yeah. He's Bruce Lee. He's breaking these stereotypes. Like people want to learn this art. People idolize it. Like fucking hubby rap songs, hip hop songs. You heard talking about Bruce Lee and martial arts. Hell, yeah, exactly. And like I said earlier, (laughs) the amount of inspirational quotes, whether or not Bruce Lee said them, but that's attributed to Bruce Lee. Um, Yeah, his impact is definitely. Mm -hmm. 30, 40 years later, it's still being built. 
I mean, you have like I'm not I'm not really a fan of mixed martial arts or the UFC, but the president of the UFC, Dana White, coming out and saying that if it wasn't wow. for Bruce Lee, there would be no mixed martial arts. Like his philosophies and the way he moves translate not only to mixed martial arts and martial arts, but also to boxing. Sugar Ray Leonard, he comes up, he says, I learned how to jab from watching Bruce Lee. The way he moves is influencing dancers. The way he moves influences in the NBA. Like Seth Curry is like, I I used to watch Bruce Lee to see how he moves because he moves so quick. And that's how I try to move on a basketball court. Why would you want to put a curse on that? Some haters being haters, if that's the case. (laughs) Yeah, and it doesn't make much sense. Yeah, it it just really doesn't. So, again, this is another thing where you just go, this is garbage. <laughs> again, you have a tragic, tragic fate ends up befalling his family. And not only that, you have a curse. Bruce right. Lee has Why a daughter. Why only pick one of the kids? Yeah. Why yeah, only pick the son? About that too. Why don't you fuck with the daughter? Yeah. So... All right, let's yeah, start wrapping this for a while. I was going to say, as an addendum for this, the next time we record, I'm going to yeah. find, um, we'll talk about it for like maybe yeah. five, ten minutes. I'm going to find a curse that does make sense. Um, not, yeah. it doesn't have to be Hollywood related. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to come up with one and we can talk next time we record. Yeah. Yes, yes, most definitely. Um, Nothing, all three of so, them, uh, all three that, cases we thoughts. just covered, none of them had any indication or any evidence or any um, even entertaining the idea of a curse. Yeah, yeah, I just think it's just bullshit. I just think people are placing this as some sort of um, explanation of what had happened. Like, again, you know, shit happens, it's unfair. But shit happens, and, and you, like I understand, people try to give some sort of reason to this shit happens, like the, these these deaths of uh, Belushi, John Belushi, John Candy, Chris Farley, Phil Hartman, Sam Kennison, Dominic Dunn, uh, Heather O'Rourke, Bruce Brandon Lee. The, the names go on, like hell. Um, the deaths that all the deaths that happened last year, all the deaths that's happening this year so far, even though it hasn't been that many, but still, you know, people try to like, especially fans, like fans and people who idolize these people, you want to try to find some sort of reason, some 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 math behind the madness. Yeah, and sometimes it's like just shit happens. Trying to find reasons behind and it's the beloved individuals like John Belushi, like John Candy, Chris Farley, like it's a sort of bit of a coping mechanism with the sadness of the truth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even, even like with our loved ones, it was like, if I, like who are not, people who are not famous. It, it means a lot to us. Our loved ones are, our, our, our family, uh, our, our friends, loved one, uh, people who are close, intimate partners. You know, like, like, Hey, you know, 
the human condition is frail. Until we find out a way to cheat death, uh, shit like this is going to happen. Even when we get to that point, if we ever get to that point, maybe cheat death. <laughs> do we yeah. really want to? This is shit starts getting boring after a while. <laughs> Yeah, but that's another conversation for another day. So, uh, yeah. Um, that's it. Those are my final thoughts on it. Man, uh, uh, a, lot a lot of, of death. And yeah, a lot of death. Nothing uh, <laughs> yeah. presented as evidence to tie any of it together. Yeah, yeah. Um, just, sometimes <laughs> exactly. shit happens. That's Completely. all we can say. Shit happens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just it tells you enjoy what you got right now, especially now. All this fucking death and shit we've been going through. It's uh, the minute the shit's over, go out there and do what you do what you want to do. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, let your freak flag fly. Because we'd have lost a year of our lives that we could never get back, and. Uh, we're able to be together again. Let's not take it, take that for granted. If anything, it's not to take anything for granted. Agreed. Here, here. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All You're right. Welcome. Well, cool. Thank I love you doing these again you, yeah. for coming back on the show. Like, Yes, yes, we got to do this a lot sooner because yeah, it's like a month and shit between doing episodes. We got to do more of these a lot sooner. So let's, I'm going to be calling you in the next couple of weeks to be like, hey, let's. And let's court keep this, the topics as varied this, as, uh, as we yeah. can because I love a lot different. You know, like a lot of these podcasts we do, yeah. I'm learning like as we're doing them, not as we're like recording, but like. You give me the idea, and I have to like go and research these topics. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sort of into the same stuff that you are. We about coming out. It's like a learning opportunity for me. So, I right. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I appreciate you being on the show, and uh, I appreciate everyone listening to Weekend Weird. If you are listening to it, uh, so for myself, Red Nick, and Ogo, we say, well, we bid you, and I do, and uh, you stay weird because uh, being weird is really cool. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to